Well, good morning, church. Pastor Ray here. And right now I have the great privilege of introducing to you our guest preacher who's going to be bringing us God's word this morning. His name is Paul Whittingstall, and he's the former senior pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region, where I used to attend under him and was so blessed by his ministry of the word. But now Paul serves as the regional director for the Great Commission Collective Canada. The Great Commission Collective, if you remember, is the fellowship of churches that we have the privilege of being a part of. And so Paul is here with his wife. Sue, and I'm so blessed that you're going to be sitting under his teaching this morning. So before he comes up, why don't we give him a warm Hope Ottawa welcome. Well, amen, and it is great to be here, actually be back here. Sue and I were here in March. There was like 18 feet of snow on everyone's front lawn, and uh, we went home and said we're coming back when the snow's gone. And, uh, but it's a great privilege uh, for us to be here. Get your Bibles out this morning and open them up to Ephesians chapter 3. Um, if you don't have a Bible or you need one, some folks on the sides, they uh, have some here. Um, and if you're visiting today or you don't have a Bible, they tell me, I'm not doing this because I'm a guest giving away other people's stuff, but they tell me, you're welcome to have that and take it home as a gift from uh, the church here. So if you need one, uh, you feel free to uh, take that home. Uh, that's way more important. Um, so thankful to um, be back in Ottawa. Um, you say, well, why is Ottawa such a big deal for you? Well, 40 years ago, this past May, uh, Seuss and I started in ministry in Ottawa. And uh, God called us. We served in a church um, in Ottawa here. And uh, so thankful for that opportunity. And then he's moved us all around. But um, this is where it all started for us in ministry. And uh, so we just are always glad when we can come back and remember and think through and see what God has done and rejoice um, in all of that. Uh, Ray mentioned that I am the uh, regional director, the Canadian regional director for the Great Commission Collective. And this church is a part of that. Um, I'm thankful for that opportunity. Just started in that role in January. And you say, well, so what, what do you do? And well, I travel around and I speak at churches. I do that for sure. But if I could say what the Great Commission Collective is trying to do kind of in one sentence or two sentences, it would be, um, we're seeking to glorify God. We're gonna talk about that in the message today. And by doing that, by having healthy leaders leading strong churches to plant life-giving churches in Canada and around the world. That's what we do. We want to work hard to see that we have healthy leaders in our churches and that the churches are strong, but that we're reproducing churches, planting life-giving churches, not only in Canada, uh, but around the world. And God is doing that, and we rejoice in that. So as the Lord puts you on, on your, us on your heart, uh, please uh, remember to pray for us, um, asking God to do what only, only he can do. Well, I want to talk today about our purpose. What is our purpose in life? Or what's the purpose of this church? Uh, people have all kinds of different ideas of what they think our purpose could be about. And uh, personally in the world, people would think, well, my purpose in life is to fill in the blank. And, and whatever's the most important thing to you really becomes that purpose thing for you. Um, it could be like my job. I'm so wrapped up in my job. My family gets set aside. Whatever's first, that becomes your purpose. Could be my family. Could be my spouse. It could be my kids. I've got this kid who I, I think he's going to make it to the NHL. He's probably not going to make it to the NHL, but you dream your dreams anyways. And, uh, but, and, you know, and, and the, everything gets focused on that and we lose sight of where our purpose as believers ought to be. It can happen in the church. What's the purpose of the church? Um, great announcements today about things that are happening and, and the prayer time that will come and the step one class and the step two class and, and disciple making and 
getting new people to come to church and having offerings so that we can pay the bills and what's the purpose of the church and we can get fixated on some of those things and none of those things I just mentioned are wrong things. They're just not the main thing. See, the main thing in your life and the main thing in, in your church is the glory of God. That's the number one thing. Everything else can come under and support that, but it can't be the main thing. So when you think about your life, is, is the glory of God the main thing in your life? How much time did you spend this week with that as a focus? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, the Bible says, right? Do all to the glory of God. Eating, it's a good thing. Whether you eat or drink, it's like, well, okay, so I, I can do that. I say prayers before we eat or we drink and all that. Or whatever you do. So if it wasn't covered in those two things, lots of things weren't. But then all of a sudden it's whatever you do. So now that everything we do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, says the chief end of man, man's chief end is to, anybody know? to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is our chief purpose. That's the main reason that we're here. Uh, your church has a statement that says, um, the church's statement is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the great commission in the spirit of the great commandment. The very first thing that statement says is, why are we here today? To glorify God, to glorify God. I don't always do that real well. I get off on so many tangents and so many other priorities and, and get fixated on other things and God and his glory isn't first. And I trust that through this message today, you'll be helped to uh, get some things rearranged in your life and, and get that focus right again. Um, Ephesians chapter three, I'm just gonna read a couple of the verses. We're gonna look at verses uh, seven through the uh, end of the chapter. But for right now, I just wanna read the last two verses of Ephesians three. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that we can hold it in our hands. We thank you that we can read it. We thank you that you have preserved it for us. We thank you that we can be instructed in it. God, you've given us everything we need for godliness in our lives. And so help us to look in your word today. The words of a man standing at the front aren't all that important, but what your word says is critical. So give us ears to hear what you have to say. Would you give us minds to understand what you're saying? But then Lord, would you give us faith and faithful hearts to live these things out for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, would you do in this place, in our hearts, what only you can do? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to dive right into the text today because I've got a seven-point sermon. You're like, oh my goodness, Jesus might come back before we're done. Well, that could happen. That would be wonderful if you know the Lord. But uh, seven points, seven things I want you to see out of this text that will help us to live on purpose. That's the, that's the main thrust of how do I live on purpose? And uh, you don't need to apply necessarily all seven of these things. There might be one or two of them that are the nugget. I'm going to come back to that at the end that you need to take home. The thing that you need to adjust. You need to make the priority. And uh, so here's the first one. To live on purpose, I have to understand the value of the gift. 
If I'm going to live on purpose, I have to understand the value of the gift. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, in verse 7, it says this. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which he has given me by the working of his power. Of this gift of God's grace. How much time do you spend thinking about the gift of God's grace? The worship that we had today was so fantastic leading into this message and getting us focused on God and all that he's done, on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished. Paul, Paul starts out in, in this text by talking about being, being a minister, about being a minister according to the gift of God's grace. That word minister means to be a, a table waiter. Paul saw himself just as a, a table waiter, a person who can serve tables for the gift of God's grace. See, we ought to live every day out of the grace of God. When you roll out of bed in the morning, uh, your first thoughts ought to be about the grace of God. Um, the grace of God not only that saves us, but the grace of God that keeps us. And so as a follower of Christ, we should be pumped up. We should be excited. We should be always focusing back to look what the Lord has done on my behalf. There I was, a wretched mess, no hope, nothing I could do about it. Jesus Christ came. He paid the price I couldn't pay. He suffered what I couldn't suffer so that I could be right before God. And when I trusted in Jesus Christ, I was made just as if I never sinned. That's awesome what God has done. And we ought to rejoice in that every day. And the God who saves us is the God who keeps us. And so every day I wake up and I think, Lord, another day for you, another day for you because of what you have done and what you have accomplished for me. Understand the value of the gift, the gift of God's grace. I love the Romans road. It's a simple way to explain the gospel to somebody right out of one book. But Romans 3 has some great verses. There's none righteous, not even one. Um, so maybe you're in the room today and you think, well, no, but I'm okay. I'll stand before God one day and I'll be okay. Okay doesn't cut it with God. Uh, the standard with God is way past okay. The standard with God is no sin. The standard is God with absolute righteousness. And you can't do that on your own. We all fail. We all fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, not even one. Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, a mess, a separated from him, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. With a mouth, we make a confession. See, Paul, as he understood what God had done in his life, he understood the value of that gift. If you want to live for the glory of God, you have to see something bigger than the things that you have made for your glory. Bigger than your job, bigger than your family, bigger than the things that go on in your church, bigger than, and the only thing bigger than that is what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. It's the glory of God. And so if you want to live for the glory of God, you need to live out of the gospel. We need to live out of the hope that we have and the grace that we have in Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, he is the hope for this world. He is the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I want to live on purpose.
to live on purpose, I have to understand the value of the gift. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. To live on purpose, we have to understand our position in Christ. Look at verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I am the least of all the saints. See, Paul understood his position. He understood the humility and the responsibility that had been given to him, this grace that was given. Paul, the one who was out, if he didn't have Christians murdered directly, he certainly approved of their murder. And then God reached down and God took hold of him in Acts chapter 9 and you see his amazing conversion and you see what God does in his life and he's blown away from it by it. He's, he understands that he must increase and I must decrease. God must be on the throne. I am not first. He is first. I am the very least of all of the saints, he says. But he says, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles. I'm, I'm always amazed how, how God has chosen to work in this world. And he's chosen to work through his people. He's chosen, he uses the word. He uses all kinds of circumstances. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul Whittingstaller, nobody in this room has ever saved anyone. Anyone who's ever been saved has been saved by the grace of God. That's the only way. But he uses us. Uh, Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians that we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. Ambassadors don't get to make policy and decide where direction things are going to be. Uh, ambassadors tell the story of the king, of the ruler, of the nation that they represent. And, and Paul calls himself an ambassador. But an ambassador to preach, to preach what's the unsearchable riches of Christ. Getting focused more and more in our lives every day, understanding what Christ has done for us. See, that should bring us to our knees. It should bring us to humility. It should bring us to, God, you are so awesome for what you've done. My life in Christ, my hope, eternal life is mine because of what Jesus Christ has done. So if I'm gonna live on purpose, we have to understand that this grace was given to us. We have to understand our position in Christ, but it's an amazing position. It's an amazing work that God has done. Here's the third thing. If I'm going to live on purpose, I have to understand the importance of this message. We have to understand the importance of this message. It says in verse 9, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. This message this message from old, this message that goes back was, was designed by God before time began. And we look back in Genesis and we read in God's creation and then we see the fall of man and in Genesis 3, 15, we see the first glimpse that there's going to be victory and there's going to be a conqueror who's going to come and Satan is going to be crushed and Christ is going to reign, Genesis 3, 15. And then we see the Old Testament start to be unveiled, un, un, revealed to us and, and we see the law being laid down and, and we see all the sacrifices that needed to happen and all of this was a picture of what Jesus Christ would accomplish and all of the blood of the goats and the bulls. And for without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so they had this picture and they had to take the best animal and they had to sacrifice it. And all of it was a picture of what would come in Jesus Christ. What bulls and goats couldn't accomplish, Jesus Christ did accomplish. Understand the value. Understand the preciousness 
understand the importance of this message. Jesus didn't say, I am a way. I am one pathway to God. You just choose the best one and good luck. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said this, and no one, it's all of us in this room, no one comes to the Father except through me. Goes against the flow of our world for sure, right? It doesn't make us arrogant, makes us thankful. No one deserves to be saved. The fact that you are saved is a grace of God and his working in our lives. And we need to understand the importance of the message that we have been given. And we need to, best we can with the resources God allows us to have to be ones who are telling that story of this message. You see, when you feel the weight of what Jesus Christ has done for you, then it's like, I I wanna live for that glory. I live for that glory. That's what I want to be about in my life. God helping me. How can I do that? See, we saw it hidden for the ages, it says, but revealed in Jesus Christ. In verse 10, it says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's the high up places, but it's in all of the world. This message that we have is so critical. It is the message that the world needs. Everyone out there in the world is going after their things and going after what they think is important. And even at the end of the day, you hear people say, well, no, I'm, I'm spiritual, I'm spiritual. But you, their eyes are focused on the wrong things. And Jesus is the right focus for the message. And if we want to live for the glory of God, we need to be people who understand how important this message is to us. Here's number four. To live on purpose, I have to understand the big picture, the eternal picture. I look at verses 11 and 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. See, God's plan of salvation, God's plan of revelation, God's plan for our redemption, God's plan for our, we will dwell with him in the house of the Lord forever is an eternal plan. It goes back to before the foundation of the world. Uh, Joseph, uh, Jeremiah talked about how, how God knew him before he was formed in his mother's womb. Uh, God knows And God knew about all of this plan and he knew how it would be revealed. He knew how it would uh, come out. And and we need to go back and we need to remember the working of God and his eternal purpose so that we could have eternal life. And then in those verses, it says, according to the eternal purpose, which he has realized accomplished in Christ Jesus. And then it talks about through faith in him. We have three things. It says we have boldness, we have access, and we have confidence. Through the eternal purposes of God, we have boldness, we have access, we have confidence. Not boldness that we deserve, not access that we have a right to, not confidence that's built in us, all of that that comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ. But think about that when you think about coming before God in prayer. I live for the purpose to glorify God. But I come to him, I have access to him. 
I have access to him through the finished work of Jesus Christ. I have access to him because of what Christ has done. I used to say it this way in our church. When, when I stand before God and he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? I don't think it's going to actually happen probably quite like that, but just make it man so we understand it, right? Um, what are you going to say? So the right answer to that question is because I'm with him. Because I'm with him. That, that's how. Not because of me, not because of what I've done. The access I have, the backstage pass, if you want to call it, that I have is because of Jesus Christ, because of what he's accomplished for me, because of what he did. Not me, him. It says you have access. It says you have access. And then it says you have access with confidence and with boldness. Isn't it cool that unbelievable, but isn't it cool that we can come to God and we have access that's in itself is unbelievable. We deserve nothing, but we can come with boldness and confidence. Now, boldness and confidence does not speak of arrogance. It's not like I deserve this. Here I come, God, you better open up the doors and listen to what I have to say. Because I don't come because of who I am. I have, I can come with boldness because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And we need to come to God in our prayers. We need to come to him and cast our burdens on him. I, I remember talking to a guy in a retreat one time and he was really struggling with some things in his life and, and it was heavy what he had gone through. He was probably 20 years old and um, he didn't have a job. Um, he had um, just lost his best friend to suicide and there were some other circumstances in his life and he was just ticked off at God. And I was talking to him after a session and I said, um, you're a follower of Christ, right? He goes, yeah, but I'm pretty angry. I said, why don't you tell God? He goes, I could never tell God. I go, really? You don't think God doesn't know? Like, like why don't you come to God? Not in an arrogance, not in, and it broke him to think that God already knew all of that. He kind of knew it, but he'd set that aside. He, look, guys can really do this really well. We compartmentalize things in our lives, right? So I can be angry at God and God doesn't know. And, and it just broke him as he came to the Lord. Why? Because, because he had access and he could cry out to God. I don't, God, I don't understand. I don't know right now. I don't know what to do. And, uh, but it's a very cool thing that in our lives, when we understand this big picture of God's eternal purpose, it says through faith in him, through faith in him, we have this access, we have this boldness, we have this confidence. I, I think of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, right? The year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Talked about his throne, talks about it, filled the temple and the angels cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Did you look around as you were driving in this morning? I just, just, we, we were driving in from where we stayed last night and just around the corner from the church here, there's a park and I was just overwhelmed by God's goodness in his creation. It's hard to do that when you're looking at buildings all the time. So get out of the city once in a while and just see what God has done. Go over to Gatineau, go up in the park. And one day in my life, when I was at this church 40 years ago, I just was like, I don't know if I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And I went over up into the park and just sat and spent a day with the Lord. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. We see it in his creation. We see it in what he's done in us in Jesus Christ. We see it in his word and understand this is all part of God's eternal purpose. And so if I want to live for the glory of God, I have to understand the big picture. But here's the fifth thing. It's not always going to be easy. To live on purpose, I have to understand the struggle to remain faithful. It's a battle to remain faithful. It's not easy to remain faithful. Um, 
Verse 13 says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory, for over what I am suffering for you. When it gets hard, it's lean in time, church. It's not lean out time. Uh, so often when something happens in our hearts or in our lives, we, we tend to lean out. We get a bad report medically or we lose our job or something happens to us. And what do we do? We lean out. And God's saying, lean in during that time. Lean in. And Paul's saying, don't lose heart over what I'm going through for you. Don't lose heart when it's difficult. It is going to be difficult. It will not be easy. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is counter everything that our world is about. And you just take a look at the onslaught that's coming and... And you can be overwhelmed by that or you can go, the God of grace, he's going to sustain us. He's going to help us. He will be everything we need for this. He's always been faithful. He will be faithful, but it's not going to be easy. Anybody who preaches, life's going to be easy and you should have a three-car garage and a pool in the backyard and a pool and a wave runner and all the rest of it. They're just not preaching the word of God. If God's given you those things and you use all of those things for his glory. But don't be surprised when the trial comes. Right? It's going to come. If you're not having it right now, it's going to come. Well, thanks for the good news. Thanks for coming all the way to Ottawa to tell me that. Well, no, it's going to come. But when it comes, lean in. Lean in on the word of God. Lean in on the hope you have in Jesus Christ. Lean in on fellow believers who can help you and, and, and give you strength as you go through those times. Lean in. Paul says, which, which is for your glory which is for your glory. These things that I'm suffering, he says, are for your glory. And I'm thinking, how did, how did he get there in his life? Paul's writing the book of Ephesians from Rome not long before he would die in prison. As a matter of fact, most of his life after he trusted Christ, he spent in prison. It wasn't going to be easy. He wrote this book. I've often wondered, like he wrote this book. He wrote Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians, Galatians. He wrote a whole chunk of the New Testament. And he must have been sitting in prison in Rome as he got the letter out going, send that to Ephesus. I want the believers in Ephesus to read it. Did he ever find out whether they got the letter or not? I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Um, but did everybody get it? Did they pass it around like he hoped they would? Did they? It had been so easy to be discouraged didn't have, you know, Skype or email or Twitter or, you know, didn't have any of those things. So, yeah, we got the letter. It's amazing. Thank you for it. Or like, we're really ticked off. You wrote that letter. I wish you hadn't done it. Or, you know, he's in prison. Probably wondering, did all of those things I've ever written, did they ever get to those who I wanted to get them to? But here's what I know he didn't understand. He didn't understand it would be here today. He didn't understand how God would take what he was writing that he couldn't even be sure got to the people he wondered if it would get to and how well it would be received. And yet God protected it and God used it. And so he's writing all of this. And now we sit in church in 2019 and reread the words that he was writing almost 2,000 years ago to this church to help them. And those words are being helping us today. See, it's for the glory, for the glory, for the glory. You don't know how God will use what you're doing for his glory. 
Your pastor's story is a cool story. You've probably heard it. I'm not going to tell his story, but I had the privilege to baptize him in our church. We, we, they went out from our church, went to another place. I watched them on their journey, and, and here they are, right? I had a little piece. I had a very little piece in that. But you never know how those things are going to turn out. When we finished up our ministry at York Region um, in, in the end of last year, um, you know, it's cool to get cards and letters from people, and, you know, people are going, you know, you know, just thank you. I came to the church, and this happened, or my family, this happened in our family, and God used you, or God used the church, and you have no idea. You have no idea what God is doing through the faithfulness that you have right now that maybe you will never see, but God will still work, and he will do it for, uh, for his glory. Um, we don't give up. We don't give up. We have to struggle and remain faithful to what God has called us to. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're like, you've got kids and they're not where they ought to be in Christ or you've got a friend and you've been witnessing to them and they're not, you just like, why don't they get it? Why don't they get it? Don't give up. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. I like to say it this way, as long as there's breath, there's hope. As long as there's breath, there's hope. I was with um, two or three of my siblings at a, a wedding yesterday and um, none of them are living for the Lord. They all, I grew up in a Christian home. They grew up in the same home. They had all the same advantages I had. They had all of those things. And, and they've all basically walked away from their faith. They're not hostile, but they're just, yeah, if you want it, that's fine. If not, and I've had a chance to talk to them. I've, they've been in sermons where I preach. As a matter of fact, my sister at, um, at your mom's funeral came up to me at my wife's funeral. Uh, not her funeral, her mom's funeral. <laughs> well, there's a rumor to start, right? Paul's wife was dead, but she was at the service. My wife's mom's funeral, my sister came up to me afterwards and she says, I'm never going to another funeral you ever do. And that was the greatest compliment she possibly could have paid. Because she was confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But while there's breath, there's hope, right? You say, don't give up. You keep trusting. You allow God to work. You can't, you're not in charge of the outcome, but you are responsible to be faithful to what God has called you to. And so remain faithful to those things. And when it's hard, you don't lean out. When it's hard, we lean in. All right, here's the sixth thing. To live on purpose, you have to understand who is our source. We have to understand who is our source. Um, Verses 14 to 19 are really a prayer that Paul now turns to in this text. Um, but he starts out by saying, for this reason, um, for this reason. So uh, look down again at uh, uh, verse 14. Uh, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through this, his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. I just want to pick a few little highlights out of this section, but we have to understand who is our source. And Paul starts out by saying, the one who is our source is the one I bow my knee to. I bow my knee to you. When you think about God and his creation, when you think about God and his salvation, when you think about the work of Jesus Christ, do you ever bow the knee? 
As a follower of Christ, do you bow the knee? Is there a spot worn out beside your bed where you bow the knee? Philippians says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's a thing that still is coming. But Paul says, I bow the knee. I bow the knee. How often do you, when you pray, do you get down on your knees before God? A picture of humility before him. You say, yeah, but you don't have to get down on your knees. To, to, you, it's all about your heart. God looks at your heart. That's true. There's no doubt about it. But do you physically, it's, there's something about taking the physical movement and bowing the knee that says, I am under you. You are above me. I am coming under. He says, I bow the knee. The Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every, that means every. Nobody's left out. You can look at your wife or your husband. You can look at your kids. You can look at the people in the row beside every, everybody in the room, everybody. Everybody in Ottawa, everybody in North America, everybody around the world are going to bow the knee. The cool thing for the follower of Jesus Christ, we will bow the knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my rest, and we will spend eternity with God in heaven. But everybody includes everybody is going to bow the knee. The Bible says, uh, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many find it. Narrow is the way that leads to heaven, and few there be that find it. Every knee is going to bow. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're going to bow the knee too. And one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And you're like, oh, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. As graciously as I can say it, you are. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God will say, sorry, I never knew you. And you'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. You say, no, it's, it's not going to happen. Well, just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true, right? You could say, well, I don't believe in gravity. I could jump off the building and nothing would happen to me, right? I could say, um, I, don't, I, I don't believe in gravity. I'll, I'll let go of my wallet and, and it won't fall because I don't believe in gravity. I don't believe it will fall. It's not going to fall. Yes, it is going to fall because gravity is real. Whether you choose to believe it or not, I had to get my $2 back before I got to lose that. So whether you choose to believe it or not, gravity is real. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is just as real. So today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you, and be saved and have eternal life and the hope that can only come from knowing Christ, who is our source. Understand who is our source. It says we will dwell with him. Um, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? Through faith. You don't earn this salvation. You don't deserve this salvation. Those of you who've trusted Christ, you know this so well. You were so undeserving and everything was handed to you. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves as a gift of God. It's not of work so that no one can boast. It's not about what you accomplished so that you can say, look what I did, God. It's about what he accomplished because you couldn't accomplish anything that would save you. And you believed and you were saved through faith alone, not through some works, not through what you do, 
What you do as a follower of Jesus Christ is because of how awesome God is. It's because of how glorious he is. It's the result of what God's done in our lives. It's not to get us to God. It's because we have received Jesus Christ. We are his child that we respond in obedience and faith and serving and all those other things that we talked about that weren't wrong things. They're just not the right thing. The first thing is get our eyes fixed on the glory of God. In faith alone, in Christ alone, in an awesome salvation. He is the source. Talks about how we're rooted and grounded by him and in him. In verse 18, it says that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. You think about the love of Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus Christ has breadth, that word says. God's love is wide enough to include people everywhere. It says it has length. The love of Jesus Christ has length. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. It says that God's life has, love has height. God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. And it says the love of Jesus has depth. God's love is even deep enough to reach the worst sinner. The worst sinner. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe that's where your friend is. They're like, well, no, God could never love me. Like if, if, you only, if you only knew what I have done, God's love might be good enough for the rest of you. You're kind of like squeaky cleanies. But, but me, I'm a mess. If you only knew what I've done, if you've only known what I've thought, if you've only... The guy who wrote this text was put, having people put to death or at least supporting them being put to death. And God's grace reached out and God's grace saved him. That's the amazing thing about God's grace. It reaches out to anyone who will receive the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. See, I want to live for the glory of a God like that. A God who has the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And it says in verse 19, to know the love of Christ Paul's writing is something we can know. It's not speculation. It's not guesswork. It's not emotions. It's not feelings. This, um, this is something we know, that we may know, to know him, the hope of glory. Well, here's the seventh thing. If we're going to live on purpose, we have to understand who is our resource. We have to understand who is our, our resource. And we see that in this doxology at the end. It's an amazing, um, amazing two verses that really gets us focused on all that is available for us in Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, he says, this message is not something for you to uh, take on. You know, okay, after I get my job kind of thing settled down or after I get my mortgage paid off or after the kids are out of the house or after whatever your excuse is, uh, Paul says, now, this is not a tomorrow thing. This is not a next week thing. This is what God is offering to us in his resource right now. Now, but to him, See, we can't do this on our own. The thing I love about the, the Christian life, walking by faith, is I don't do it by myself. 
I'm not expected to perform. Now to him, now to him. John 1.3 says, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now to him, the creator, the sustainer, the one who gives me my next breath. Now to him, now to him what? Who is able to do He's able to do. See, the strength to be able to do this, the ability to be able to do this is not found in us. This is found in the work of God's spirit in us. Now who, to him who is able to do. The Bible says there's lots of able to do things. It says, now to him who is able to what? Save to the uttermost, Hebrews 7.25. Help them that are tempted, Hebrews 2.18. Subdue all things unto himself, Philippians 3.21. Deliver us from the fires of life, Daniel 3.16 and 17. To build us up, Acts 20.32. To heal and set us through, uh, free, Matthew 9, 28, to keep us from falling, Jude 24, and here to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's your resource for this, to get your eyes out of today and out of this world and focused on the glory of God. The resource for this is God Almighty to help us. He's able to do far more abundantly beyond our wildest dreams. When was the last time you asked God for something that you couldn't do on your own? Who can do far more abundantly above all that we ask or even think? I was the pastor until January of Harvest Bible Chapel in York Region, and uh, I started there. I didn't, I didn't plant the church. It was in its first year when we, we got there, and about 80 people, and God started to grow the church, and a miracle of God, we were given a building with money in the bank. Like, unbelievable story. I'll tell you on a different day. But God did all that. And we were meeting as the elders one night, and the church was growing, and we were probably around 200 people, and, and we, we were kind of taking a look at the four pillars back then and going, how are we doing in these four things? And, and one of the things we really kind of became convicted of as the elders, I, I see it as a strength in your church, growing in your church, was the area of prayer. We're doing lots of things, but we didn't have a focus like we needed there. And we started to pray. We started to ask God for stuff. And, uh, and so we asked God for another hundred people. And um, God gave us another hundred people. And we were like, oh my goodness. Now, you have to understand, we were thinking like, wouldn't it be nice to have another hundred people? God gave us another hundred messed up people, just like we were. And then we asked for another hundred people. God, would you give us 400 people? And God did it. God, would you allow us to uh, plant a church? And God allowed us to work and plant with um, Ian Hales in Durham, Ontario. Um, God, would you, would you give us another hundred people? And God did it. Believe me, this is not a story about me. It's not a story about how amazing our elders are. This is a story about how amazing God is. And God took that church from 100 people and now there are 1,000 people and a building that's paid for and planted a church in Durham and just finished planting a church in Newmarket and being allowed to serve the Lord in Romania and coming out of that soon. I just got back from Romania like two weeks ago and working with pastors there. And See, God did beyond what we could even ask or think. We were like, would you give us another hundred? Well, Lord, I didn't even know we got that kind of faith, but would you give us another hundred? He gave us another 900. Because God is able. He's able to do beyond what you can ask 
or think. Your friend doesn't know Christ? Are you praying by faith? God, would you save them? Would you, would you save my mom or my dad? Would you help my brother to get it together? He's just so not focused on the Lord. He's into all kinds of... He's able. He is the resource. Not your wit, not your ability, not your talents. God will use those things, but God will do the work in his time, in his way, in his will. He's able to do beyond a measure, beyond our wildest dreams. How? Well, it says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The power of God's Holy Spirit in us, the power of God's Holy Spirit in your church is the power that God will use to transform and do what he wants to accomplish. Working in us by his power. Anything that can be done, God can do. Do you believe that? Then pray it and ask God to do some things. And don't give up and lean in and be faithful and watch him work for the things that are his will for you in your life. Why? Why? Well, for his glory. To him be glory in the church. To him be glory in the church. Why do I want my spouse to come to the Lord? For his glory. Why do I want my kids to love the Lord? For his glory. Why do I work in my job? For his glory. Why do I serve in the church? For his glory. To him be the glory. To him be glory in the church. Forever and ever. Amen, it says. Well, so what? So what? So you came to church today, you heard a message from Ephesians chapter three and I've given you seven, or seven things to think about. So, so what? For me, I just wanna come back to, so what's the nugget? What's the thing you heard today? Going out the door today, this is how I'm gonna live differently for the glory of God. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your savior. Maybe your so what is today, I get it, I finally see it. My life is not about all these things. It's not about trying harder. It's not about trying to be successful. I get it. I want to trust Jesus Christ. Then right where you are, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you'll be saved. You don't earn, you don't deserve. God does it. But maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've lost sight of the value of the gift or the importance of the message or that this is God's eternal purpose. Maybe as it's got hard, you've been leaning out instead of leaning in. God, help me live on purpose. The purpose of the church is to glorify God through the Great Commission. For the, through the, Great Commission. the purpose of your life is whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Our source to do this is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our resource to do this is God's spirit in us, giving us everything we need so that we can serve. God, help us to be people a little bit more every day, living for the glory of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this passage that Paul wrote. I, 
I must confess, every time I talk about this passage, I, I'm struck again by the reality of his circumstances that were so difficult. And yet, Lord, even through his trials, and I'm sure he had his bad days too, he fixed his eyes on Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us to do that more and more every day. For the glory of your name, for the fame of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.